his favor. Lord, I love you and I thank you. And thank you that you are in control, absolutely. And nothing's going to knock you off your throne and, and make you sweat and give you anxiety. You are Lord and you're amazing. Ask for a lot of wisdom right now from you to understand your word and how, why this stuff matters and that it's not just man-made religious psychobabble, but this is from your very, very heart and we need you to help us with that. Thank you so much in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Romans 11, if you could turn there. Um, and while you're kind of getting sad, I'm going to start at Romans 11. But before I jump into that, let's do a quick flyover of the book of Romans. I want you to see the big, big picture. Romans 1 essentially introduces Paul to a group of churches where he has never been. So it's kind of a cover letter. Paul is kind of selling himself, presenting himself, saying, here's who I am. Here's what's important to me. And here's my vision. And I want you to join me in that. That's really what Romans is all about. Well, chapter one, right out of the gate, it's, hey, I'm Paul. Here's my credentials. And he talks about a calling. And he talks about his radical commitment to the gospel. And he says it in these terms. I'm unashamed of the gospel. I'm unashamed and I'm not afraid to talk about Jesus. And then he turns into some of the most intense teachings in the New Testament about how the human mind can become broken and begin to believe Topsy-turvy ideas, when truth becomes uh, lies, lies become truth, sweet becomes salty and, and evil and good. It's all mixed up. But the human mind can be is capable of some of the most horrible things, and in that comes horrific consequences. Chapter 2, God's impartial. God does not play favorites at all. I know sometimes we might struggle with that privately. God does not play favorites and all of creation, not just really, I could even expand that, not just people, but all of creation is actually accountable to God. Three and four uh, more sustained arguments about all of mankind is guilty before God and that justification is only by faith. Yeah. How many times do you have to lie to be a liar? How many times do you have to steal to be a thief? You get the idea. We're all liars and we're all thieves. All mankind is guilty. We've all broken God's law. Uh, chapter 5, an expanded argument about justification by faith and not by law. And then those amazing three chapters combined together. You need to learn to see them. Six, seven, and eight combined. And uh, come on in, Patch, if you can hear me. There he is. Hey, come on in. And uh, uh, you get these amazing teachings that, that if you're born again, you're dead to sin, which is fascinating. We're dead to sin. In other words, we don't have to do it anymore. We're free. We're not bound up in some kind of, uh, some kind of demonic stronghold. Help, I'm sinning and I can't stop. No, no. All that's gone. You're actually free. And then chapter 7 is about the guy trying to play both, both against the middle, both ends, where he's trying to get right by God by faith, but get right with God by law. And that guy is so mixed up, he's so goofed up, he becomes the, con the conflicted man of Romans 7. And in chapter 8, wow, Paul just lays it down. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to all those who are in Christ Jesus. Amazing. 9 to 11, sustained arguments about Israel. What do you do with Israel? 
What does the New Testament say about that? What's God's plan for Israel? Right now, is the Israeli people, the Jews, for the most part, not all, for the most part, reject Jesus as Messiah. They don't consider him to be uh, God's chosen one. Chapter 12, Paul's big, big structural definition of what does it mean to be a righteous Christian? How do you do it? And chapter 12 is intense, it's dense, and it is filled with these core, core ideas that if you're born again, this is what your life's got to look like. 13 to 15, external, internal relationships, how does Christians get along with, with people? And then Paul's appeal to the mission to Spain. I want you to finance my mission trip to Spain. Help me out here. And then chapter 16, uh, final greetings. He empowers a lady named Phoebe, uh, gives her authority, sends her out as, a, as an extension of his apostolic authority, and tells a whole lot of churches, you better listen to her. And then he gives a series of greetings. Uh, so Christian networking out of Rome, really big deal. All right? So there's an overview of it. We're going to pick up at 11, and I want to uh, tie in some really important stuff with chapter 12. So kids, um, if you guys can, draw pictures right about what Christian relationships look like, how Christians get along, how, why people are important. That's really, that's really an important idea. You remember the big tornado that came through a couple months ago, right? Uh, Lisa and I went and, and did some help, or Lisa and the kids, to help Quentin and Sabrina. Yesterday, they're remodeling from the, from the tornado damage. Walnut Valley is horrible. It looks like a bombing off. A lot of the houses have been completely leveled, and the lots are cleared. It's just terrible. Okay? Let's pretend. This is just an idea. I want you to, I'm setting kids up. Help me here. Let's say you have 30 seconds. Now, that's not a lot of time. And you want to run in and grab your most important thing in the house. And after that, no more house. What are you going to grab? <coughs> Stuffed animal? What are you going to grab? Baseball glove? What are you going to grab? Mom, Dad, what are you going to grab? you got 30 seconds. You're going to grab a photo album? All the baby pictures? What's that? Underwear. <laughs> underwear, yeah. yeah. Bruce, you'd appreciate it. A man has got to have clean underwear, Bruce. Uh, it would be horrible to not have clean underwear. Yep. 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 That's my mom. Chris, wear clean underwear. If you're in a car wreck, the doctor will see you and I'll feel ashamed. Thanks, mom. Yeah. Lingering guilt from my mother. It's just beautiful. What a beautiful thing. So, yeah. So what what matters? What's important to life? Mom, dad, we lived it out just a few weeks ago. What's important? Is it things? Is it the photo album? The computer? You know, your, your heirloom jewelry? Grandma, great-grandma's diamond that she wore or her wedding band and all this stuff and this piece of furniture that came over on the Mayflower. You know, is, that, is that it? Or is it people? Is it a pet? You know? Sometimes we're pressed into those moments when we kind of figure out what's really, really important to us, what's salient. And so chapter 11, Paul tries to get at what's really, really important, especially for Israel. So kids... Come up with some great, great pictures for that, okay? Here we go, chapter 11. And I want to begin at, um, I want to begin at, yeah, let's go with verse 7. Let's, let's do 7. So Paul says, what then? We've got a question to be asked because there's trouble 
with this thing about Israel. What Israel is seeking, it has not obtained. And I'll walk us through this. Israel wants a Messiah. They're seeking Messiah, and Israel is not getting the Messiah. But those who were chosen obtained it. Who are the chosen ones? Us. Gentiles. Gentiles. And the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor. Eyes to see, not. And ears to hear, not. Down to the very day. And David said, May their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block, a retribution to them. May their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs continually. What, what Isaiah is quoting from the prophets. What Isaiah said that there's a certain kind of personality, a certain kind of mindset, that they are hard-hearted, stiff-necked, and they will not submit to God. They're not going to do it. They think they're smarter than God. <laughs> Or they think God is just man-made religion. It's just more religious psychobabble. I will not give in to that stuff because my intellectual capacities far exceed that kind of humanistic thinking. And I'm not going to play into that. I'm not going to go for God, right? And Paul is saying, uh, quoting Isaiah in rather poetic language, that God gave them stupor, or that could be translated, God gave them over to a spirit of stupor. That's right out of Romans 1. You want to believe lies? Go for it. You will find out what deception feels like. You go long enough, deep enough in a lie, you will become blind. Please don't misunderstand me. There's a wide margin for misunderstanding right now. It's almost like God is up there in the heavens and God's going to go, that Joe Summit, I don't know if I like that guy. And he just shot you with blindness, just shot you with deafness, just shot you with a hard heart. Nanny, nanny, boo-boo, I just made it hard on you. That is not what's going on. We almost wanted to, well, God's mean. If he's so loving and so kind, why would he do that to people? I don't know that I like him. That's not what's happening. We bring this on ourselves. You start, you start, Taking a truth deep like one plus one is two, how do you mess that up? It can be in America. I, I identify as a three. That's a three. I just know it is. You know, okay. You start deconstructing truth and you will always bend it toward your will. And always you create yourself in the image of God or you deconstruct God and you create him in your image. Always. It's called humanism. All right? And that's what's going on. So when you start believing the lie and exchanging truth for lies and all these kinds of things, it will give you a spirit of stupor and God will allow it. He allowed it with Adam and Eve and he'll allow it with me and he'll allow it with you. And if you fill your mind with the world, Don't be upset at God that you are worldly. If you filled your eyes and your ears and your heart with the world, don't blame God for your worldly chaos that's between your ears. All right, so verse 11. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? Far be it. 
But by their wrongdoing, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. That's complex. Israel, God's saying, look, Israel, you're rejecting Jesus? Fine. He's the stumbling stone. You stumbled over Jesus. Well, I'm going to now take it to the gospel to the Gentiles. And when you see the gent the blessing of God fall on the Gentiles, and they are now grafted in, it's to make Israel jealous. Because they thought they were the chosen. Now, if their wrongdoing proves to be riches for the world, and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? Paul is saying there's hope for Israel. But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles. Therefore, insofar as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Drop down. Let's look at this. He's talking about gardening. Okay. Verse 16. If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are holy. He borrows those two metaphors. Verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them, and became partaker of them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. What's he saying? He's saying Israel is the original olive tree. You're the wild one grafted in. Don't be arrogant because you think you have the Messiah. Israel doesn't, so you're better than Israel. Be careful of who's who and what's what. Be careful. You were grafted in. Be grateful. Paul is saying, get your heart ready to know how to honor, love, and pray for the restoration of Israel is what he's saying. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You were grafted into Israel. But will you say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in? Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. And then one of the most amazing verses in chapter 11, Paul says, Behold, see then, behold, the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell, severity. But to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, for otherwise you too will be cut off. You too. What he's simply saying is this. It's actually it's an echo from chapter 8. <clears throat> Paul is saying that if you understood the mercy of God and that God has shown radical mercy to you, you'll be very careful how you treat and talk about Israel. You'll be very careful. In fact, You'll be very careful about how you treat all people. Okay. Behold the kindness and the severity of God. All expressed in those who believe and those who refuse. Okay. But if you continue in God's kindness, you're walking out this gift of mercy. Otherwise, you two are going to be cut off. Right? All right. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and contrary to nature were grafted in, to, to be cultivated into a new olive tree, how much more than those who are of the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? He's saying, Israel will be saved. I want you to know, brothers, 
I would rather, I do not want you brothers to be ignorant, uninformed of this ministry so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that the partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentile has come in and God will eventually lead all Israel to his son. All right, look at verse 32. Verse 1132. For God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or has become his counselor? Who has first given to him that it should be paid back to him? For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. Let me tie that off, and then we're going to jump into chapter 12. Chapter 11, 9 to 11, has been a pretty complex chunk of scripture for scholars for centuries, actually, centuries. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, theologically it's complex, and we've just kind of quickly worked through some things here. And I know uh, for many of you this might have been just odd or curious kind of things. Romans chapter 11 is not necessarily the easiest chapter to teach from. But can we conclude this? That it's all about Israel? And that it's all about Gentiles being grafted in? And can we at least conclude that in that relationship, Gentiles need to show honor and dignity and pray for Israel? Can we conclude that? Okay. All right. You ready? Hold on to that because we're going to pop right into chapter 12 and maybe see chapter 12 with fresh eyes. That's what we hope. When Paul says, therefore, a great theological question is, what is therefore, therefore? You know, Jay, you're a writer. You know, there's a reason for that. What do you think it is, Jay? When Paul, Paul says, therefore, what does that imply? <laughs> that wasn't fair. Welcome to seminary. It just is, it's not fair. What do you think? Why would Paul, why would even Paul say there? What? Pay attention. Ah, that's it. That's it, Serena. What I've just been saying, pull it all directly into the next thing I'm saying. Okay. Take 11, chapter 11, and pull it in and drop it right on the next thing I'm saying. Therefore, based on what I've just said, therefore, it's going to make a whole lot of sense if you do that. If you take 11, drop it right on to 12. Therefore, I beg you. And by the way, that's an intense verb in Greek. I'm really begging you, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God that was shown to you Gentiles, that you present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. That will make Jews jealous. <laughs> Chapter 11. That will provoke Israel to jealousy. That will draw Israel in. To the point, when you and I live lives that are holy, and we're motivated by God's mercy. And we're seeing this as our spiritual service of worship. You know what spiritual service of worship means? 
you're doing the right thing at the right time for the right reason because it's the right thing to do. This is how you do it. And you're not conformed to the world, but you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is attractive. That is powerful. And it can be the very thing that's going to provoke Israel to jealousy. When we live godly and holy lives and we're not conformed to the world, but we're transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In fact, 12, 1 and 2 are about Gentiles acting like Israel should have been this whole time. A light to the world, the city set on the hill, a light to the nation so that all could see this is the wisdom of God. But when we as Christians do not live holy lives and we do not see our lives as, uh, an, uh, as an offering, as a sacrifice to be offered, but we see ourselves as people in power who demand to be served, and we end up conforming ourselves and bending ourselves around the world, we fail to be transformed in the renewing of our mind, and we don't prove the brilliance of God, his will, his love, and we screw the whole thing up. The church becomes ugly. She becomes so ugly. The church can be ugly in her hypocrisy, but the church is beautiful in purity and humility and brokenness. So Paul pushes farther. For though the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. He just told the Gentiles not to do that. But to think is to have sound judgment, as God has allotted, allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many parts in one body, and all the body parts do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually parts of one another, right? However, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to use them properly. If prophecy, in proportion to one's faith. If service, in the act of serving. Or one who teaches, in the act of teaching. Or the one who exhorts, encourages, builds up. The one who does that exhortation, the one who gives with generosity, the one who is in leadership with diligence, the one who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Love must be free of hypocrisy. Detest what is evil, cling to what is good. This is what chapter 11 is all about. That if we are those kinds of people, the church, the bride, becomes profoundly attractive to Israel so that Israel could see that Jesus is the true Messiah. Now for us, we don't live in the land of Israel. I've got some dear friends that I, that I knew way back in Massachusetts when I was just a kid, Adele and her husband, and uh, they're in Israel, and there's a picture of them. You know, this is Gethsemane, the Olive Grove, and, and here's the Sea of Galilee, and there's the shot of Adele and her husband and these 70 other tourists. They're all wearing white robes, and they're at this special platform on the Jordan River, and they're all going to be baptized in the Jordan. You know, this big special ceremony they do for the Christian tourists and things. And so these great photos of, of Israel. Well, we don't live there. <laughs> we don't live there. So here's a great question. Who's our Israel? Who's watching us? 
What do you think? Who's watching us? The, the world itself, certainly, and not the global sense, but where you live. Uh, how about we start at home? How about we start at home? Is our Christianity, is our faith, that we are, by the mercies of God, living out as a holy sacrifice and we're not conformed to the world? Is that something our spouses and kids can see? Grandkids can see? Work? Uh, you know, we, we have to learn to be under authority. God gave us bosses for a reason, right? And bosses have authority. And what about at work? Do your bosses see you as being a man, a woman under authority, living out this, or your employees, can they see it in you? Uh, neighbors, these kinds of things, yeah. We are the light of the world, Christ Church. Now, when you, when you normally, let's push it just a bit here. Um, when you normally read Romans 12, what's your typical application? What do you kind of think of? What do you think? Romans 12, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, uh, you know, these kinds of things, present your bodies. What do you normally think of? Your average kind of work at a Bible study. What do you normally think of? What do you normally think of? Clean up your thought life? Be transformed in the renewing of your mind? Sure. Sure, absolutely legit. That's totally fair. But when you put chapter 11 on top of chapter 12, it's different. It's not about you struggling with your thought lives. You know, it's about you being transformed in your mind toward people. <clears throat> toward people. Not the fact that occasionally between your ears certain terms come out that you don't want anyone to hear. That's not really what Paul's talking about. He's talking about people. You ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. All right, Christ Church, going to turn over to you. It's going to be a tough one this morning. Take ownership of this thing. How do we live out Paul's mandate the Gentiles have an obligation to model faith to Jews. And that it translates into our world. And that this is what the renewing of our mind is about. And that we live out as, as holy sacri sacrifice. And that it's our reasonable or acceptable way that we go about serving God. How can we live this out? What are some, maybe some, some ways that that's impeded? What would you say, Kathy? No, 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 you're, you're, you're on it, Kathy, yeah. Yeah, so I just, that whole moral high ground, I just, I think it's yeah. 
there's, there's something there's something attractive about a gentle and humble person. You know? And and boy, when you add confidence and truth with humility, wow, that's powerful, right? Absolutely. So, David, yeah. One thing that I think a lot of Christians or people that want to become Christians kind of forget is once you do accept God and Christ as your life as your Savior, you're now on a, you have a spotlight. Yeah, you do. And yeah. what you do reflects to other people. Yeah. And if you are, you, you said that you gave your life over to Christ and then you start doing your life not reflecting that. Yeah. That's going to give other people thinking, well, this, this is what that means to be Christian. Yeah. You're, you're, un, a lot of people don't realize you're, you're now <clears throat> like a fishbowl. Everybody can see you now. Yeah, that's actually true. It sure is. Uh, By the way, just a little Greek. Romans 12, 2. Transformed metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. Yes, Joe. I don't know if there's anybody that works in the service industry here, but every single person who I have known that has, especially in like restaurants and things, universally, the worst day of the week to work is, is Sunday. <laughs> if we think that popping into church, if you get your holy snack or whatever you get, and you leave, and you're not only no better than anybody else, you're in many cases worse yeah. than the world is to yeah. other people. Yeah. My wife works on the front lines in a service industry, also in pharmacy. Gets treated like garbage yeah. because people see her on the other side of the desk and see a chance that they can take out their frustrations and exercise their entitlements on somebody that can't fight back. Yeah. Yeah. You said, you know, confidence with grace and humility is a wonderful thing. Confidence without it is just arrogance. Yeah. And yeah. if you don't have the first two, you're repulsive yeah. to people. Yeah. And will never make them under you know under any circumstances wonder what you have. Yeah. That's so wonderful here. Yeah. We have to have the humility and the kindness about us to treat other people the way we would have them treat us. Yeah. Tip your waitresses and waiters. Be patient and kind with them. Be yeah. patient and kind with people behind the counter. These yeah. to me are simple things, but apparently not because. It's a, yeah. it's a pandemic of rudeness and yeah. unkindness in this country, yeah. which we, the church, should be fighting against. Too often we're part of it. Absolutely. Now, I can't fact check this uh, with any, any hard data, but I, I have read that uh, Christians, when they go out to restaurants, what do they always want to do? They want to sit together. All right. So now we've got servers having to move tables and chairs and, and reconfigure, right? And if you watch them, they're... they're, they're You've got to get this done, right? And then you pack in. So you've got, you got I don't know, 8, 10, 12, 15, 20 Christians who all want to have fellowship at the restaurant. We're going to extend the church service. We're going to go to the fellowship hall. All right? And then, and then they order, right? And then all of a sudden, this fascinating psychological, Rachel, psychological phenomenon happens among Christians in large groups at restaurants. It's called menu amnesia. It's a fascinating thing. You order... And, 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 and the dude comes out and says, you had the number four, no guacamole, and everybody's like, oh, that was me. Yeah. Menu amnesia, because you've been talking to 15 people and you, and you can't remember what you ordered. And guess what those people do? They're the worst tippers. Mm -hmm. Do you know why? Because you're, you're, you're absorbed in the group. Well, Joe will tip, I'll, I'll do $2, because Joe's going to give him 15 
You know, so and everybody's tipping low because you're thinking somebody else is going to do the right thing. And so this this little girl, little guy, just wore themselves out to try to please you and bring you more chips and salts right when you need it. And then Christians are the notorious. They get into this group thing and they they overlook the people serving them. Yeah, it's it's, 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 it's what's that? It's a twenty top, and you're talking to three people, and you have to say, "There's no way you're talking to the guy." Yeah. Sitting on the very end of the table, so yeah. A giant, a, a giant buffet line. Yeah, when you're not, yeah, exactly. So we do that. Uh, you said something I think that stands out and is an indictment on our world today is everybody thinks somebody else is going to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, that's, yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Pass, pass it on. Pass it on. Absolutely. So, um, so it, by the way, you know, if you've got, um, it's going to sound a little harsh, but bear with me here for just a minute. Um, the Apostle Paul gets at a concept of discipleship inside out. Inside out. In other words, Paul says, if you get it straight between your ears, if, if you have a, a dirty mind, an evil mind, an evil mind will express itself with evil behavior. Okay? So Paul takes faith, Paul takes Christianity and internalizes it like it's the leaven that leavens the whole lump. It's in you and it, and it pushes out. So if you've got an evil mind, a dirty mind, a perverse mind, you will engage in evil, dirty, perverse behaviors because what's on the inside comes out. So Paul, Paul believes that. In Judaism, it's a bit of the opposite. Obey the law on the outside and it's going to fix what's going on on the inside. And we know that that's not the case. And so... So when Paul says, be transformed in the renewing of your mind, he has in mind what he wrote to the Corinthians, that you have the mind of Christ. Think like Jesus, act like Jesus. That's what you do. You're transformed in how you think. Because if you don't clean up your mind, you will not be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. So, all right, um, who's your Israel? Who's your Israel? And how can you influence them? Because you have experienced the mercy of God. You've been grafted in. Have mercy on the tree that you're grafted into. Stephen? Yeah, so on my question from Madonna, uh, she asked, are all sins equal in the eyes of God, or do they have different consequences? Uh, and the answer is yes. Uh, it's complex. First, LaDonna, all in terms of wrongness, in terms of sin being a transgression, yes, all sin uh, is on equal, equal ground, equal footing. Uh, uh, the little lie and the little point of pride is just as wrong as murder. Now, on the other hand, though, it is also true that God does, in fact, in many ways, show a concept of judgment and severity towards certain sins and not others. And Jesus did that as well. Yeah, so it's complex, but yes, it's both. There are some sins that will be judged horrifically. Chris, thanks for saying that. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yep, 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 yep. So, anybody else?
this is a superficial example, but I'm, I'm going to tip 20% because I don't want to be like Jimmy at the other end of the table that tips, you know, four, and instead, oh, I'm tipping 20% because I want to honor this person that served us, and I'm going to teach my kids this because I don't want to be like such and so, and instead, I'm raising my kids to believe this because it's good and it's true, yeah. and I think what happens when we have the other attitude is that people will see us with contempt and that gives them the impression that we think that we are better than them and we're not doing things because we do want to be like Jesus but because we're doing it because we don't want to be like such and yeah. so you know, down the street. Yeah, yeah. Sarah, so bear with, bear with me on this one and, and I'll wrap it up. Um, you know what I think? I think people know when they're being used by a church. I think they know it. They're not that dumb. Come on. Outsiders, they're not that dumb. They know when they're being played by church. And like you did the friend, you know, remember the friend day? Anybody do friend day in church? Remember that lady? Friend day? It was, it was a high attendance Sunday is what that was in the SBC. You know, friend day. And the whole point is on uh, fall roundup, high attendance day, you invite everybody, you know, because you want to say, we packed it out. We got 2,000. Ah, we're great, you know. And then next Sunday, what happens? Back to normal. Back to normal. And all those people you invited because you had an inflated ego got played. They got played. They got used to bump the numbers. I think people are sick of that. I think they see through it. They see through the games, the attendance games. Uh, if you want to be a Romans 12 person, Romans 12, 1 and 2, go to dinner with them. Go to dinner with them. Golf. I take it, who would want to golf? Why would, who would want to do hey. that? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Take them golfing, you know, whatever. Go fishing. Do something, man. Do life. But don't do the high attendance day because your pastor has an inflated ego and he wants inflated numbers. People are tired of being used. I think, I think churches have been great at that in a negative way. We, you know, we've got to be, got to be real. So here's how it works there in the restaurant, right? Nobody wants their lousy service, right? So what do you do with your server when they come? Oh, well, I'm so, we get you. This is going to be the best. And you're just chatting it up and you're being buddies and they kind of relax and kind of buddy up with you. And it's like, oh my gosh, we're so friends and we're having dinner together and you're our servant. It's great. And they're going like, wow, these are really good people. And you go like, wow, they're a really good server. And then it's tip time. And what happens? And that server picks up that tip and goes, wow, I did all that. And we smiled and laughed and showed pictures of the grandkids with each other. And I got five bucks on a $75 meal. Wow. And they invited me to church. There's <laughs> <laughs> uh, <yeah>. a <laughs> thing, too, and this. You know, living in Trump is a big umbrella. Big. But there's a bigger umbrella over that. Go to Matthew 28. Yes. All called to make disciples. Yes. And 11 and 12, you're talking about relational stuff. At the end of 12, you say, we're just going to fill my head with knowledge, but transform my mind. But then if you go over to Philippians 3, he says, be imitators of me. Yes. So all discipleship comes back to being relational. Yeah. It yeah. comes back to relating the right thing to do in the restaurant, 
was a lady the right thing to do, you know, at work. Yeah. And I think in our technology world, we've lost the relational aspect of discipleship. Yes. Yes, Lee, we have. Meal sharing is one of the primary ways of network testing. You want to have some fun, do what I do. Uh, be a little sneaky. Pull out a 20. If you get a 20, just pull it out. Listen, you're okay. Pull your 20 out. And when you go to your rest, go to the restaurant, if you're going to do that this afternoon. Um, get a handshake. Have it in there. Get a handshake. And just say, hey, slide the 20. And just say, look, we're really grateful for you. It means a lot that you're going to be your server. And uh, I, just want to, I just want you to know at the beginning point that I appreciate you. And you watch the service you get. But you gave the 20 at the beginning, not at the end. And then at the end, what do you do? You do it again. You tip them again. And you invite them to church on that one and watch. Let's hear something else you can do. This is not original for me. I learned it from somebody else. Okay. Because a lot of times we go to a restaurant, we pray, don't we? Yep. Yeah. Okay, your server comes up and you're getting ready to pray for your meal. Say, if we're getting ready to pray for our meal, give thanks for our meal. Is there something we could pray for yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. That's so good, Lee. Lisa, how many times have you done that? Yeah. And by the way, they're usually busy, so I don't ask them to stand there with you. Just say, hey, just what, thanks. We're going to pray for you. Yep. yep. So that, that's being sold tonight. That's just, that's just working with your Israel. It's the Great Commission, Lee. Yeah. It's loving God, loving people, uh, caring for people. Um, you know, if you take Romans 12, 1 and 2, and you Americanize it, right, and you make it about your self-help, what are you going to do with it? You're going you're gonna to get, Chris Perry is going to get so consumed with Chris Perry and all my little issues, and oh, I got I to gotta transform my mind on that one too. And I gotta rethink that one, and then I gotta, oh, Chris has got all this stuff, and da 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 da. And all of a sudden, Chris Perry is so consumed with Chris Perry, guess what? There's nobody else on planet Earth. <laughs> because I'm so consumed with who I am, and my needs, and my ego issues, that I'm no heavenly good. I'm consumed with myself. It's a kind of twisted, kind of narcissistic way of going at things. That it's okay for me to be the sacrifice Chris, and cares and loves for others. To, yeah. Kind of to go with what David was saying, what you say there is that you have to be careful about the official. What is the motivation for your actions? Is it because everybody's looking at you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I used to do that, and then I realized it was dumb because that's just not who I am. And then when the transformation in my mind started taking place, then when it came yeah. out, it yeah, that's so good. Yeah, motive motive is a big deal. It is a big big deal. So, all right, uh, I believe the Holy Spirit has already put some names on your heart. Maybe that you need to uh, work on Romans eleven and twelve in a whole new way, and what it means to uh, be renewed and transformed in your mind on how you value people. I'm gonna pray, pray over you, Father. Thank you for your love and grace. Everybody that's here. So good. I'm encouraged, Lord. I love you and need you. In Jesus' name, amen.